Welcome, welcome, welcome to Elephants in the Room. I am your host, Ari Marie. And first things first, thank you all for the continued support and encouragement. When I say I really couldn't do this without you guys, I really mean that. A lot of people have been complimenting me on my transparency and y'all be right on time with the words of encouragement because although I thoroughly enjoy giving y'all this content, being transparent is not easy by far, Um, especially with this specific episode. Um, After this episode, I think that you all will be able to put pieces together and understand me even more. So with that being said, let's dive into it. This week's episode is titled Family Dynamics, Breaking Generational Curses. And to know me is to know that I come from a long line of dysfunction. And with growing and maturing, I've consciously worked hard and still work hard to unlearn behaviors and break cycles that have been passed down through generations. And baby, let me tell y'all. It's very difficult, it's exhausting, yet rewarding in the end. So I'm about to let y'all in on my life. Oh, shit. Um, my name is Ariane Marie, and my mother is a functional alcoholic, and my father is a crack addict. My mother's mother smoked crack and struggled with alcoholism as well. My mother's father is an alcoholic. My father has two younger brothers. One of my uncles is a heroin addict, and the other one is an alcoholic. So as you see, addiction is heavy in my bloodline, and that right there speaks for itself. My mother and father never married. I was raised by a single mother and lived in a house with her and my older brother, Trevon. Despite my mother being a single mother, my brother and I were well taken care of. We struggled here and there, just like everyone else, but those struggles taught us how to survive. My mom is a strong, independent, ambitious, and loving woman, but when she drinks, she is a completely different person. And when I entered high school, me and her started to bump heads a lot. And about age 14 is when the dynamics of our relationship began to change drastically. My biggest issue with my mother is that she feels like because I'm her daughter, she doesn't have to respect me. And to know me is to know I don't tolerate any form of disrespect. And I don't care who you are, what title you have, or what position you're in. You will respect me. And my mother has not been able to break certain cycles. Growing up, when she was mad, I would be called every name in the book. And I was very sensitive as a little girl and still sensitive to this day. So that would really hurt my feelings. I didn't understand why she thought it was okay to call me a bitch, a hoe, or whatever came out her mouth at the moment. And I would always ask her, why did she do the same thing to me and my brother that was done to her and she didn't like it. And her answer was, well, y'all make me mad or whatever. I wasn't trying to hear none of that. So my mother and I bumped heads because I would always challenge her and tell her when she was wrong. 
And of course, no parent wants to hear that from their child. So y'all can imagine the arguments and disagreements we've had over the years. Now, my mom wasn't always like this. At one point, we were best friends. So let me pause for a second to give y'all a little more background. My mother met my daddy when I was like eight years old. And if you listen to episode two, I explained that when I say daddy, I'm referring to the man that helped raise me. And that's Art. Art has been in my life for 17 years now. And no matter what him and my mom had going on, he was always there for both me and my brother. And I always love and respect him for being a father to me, regardless of the relationship he had with my mom. My daddy would take me school shopping. He got my first passport at age 12, kept my hair and nails done and everything in between. So with him stepping up in that way, my mother stepped down, so to speak, and let him do everything. Now, my mom obviously still took care of me and raised me, but she became comfortable. And when I asked her to do certain things, she would tell me to ask my daddy. And sometimes I would be so annoyed because I'm like, you're my mother. Why can't you do it? So now that y'all have that info, let's resume from earlier. I believe that the stress from her long-term relationship with my daddy and the heartbreak, along with not dealing with her childhood traumas, on top of raising two kids and going through changes with us, led her to rely on alcohol heavy. And over the years, it's gotten worse. And I tell people all the time, thank God for growth, because when I went away to college, I had so many negative traits that I learned at home, and I was emulating exactly what I experienced in my household with other people. And when someone would piss me off, I would go off the deep end, literally. I can look back now and laugh and joke about it, but when it was happening, it wasn't funny at all. I realized that I was acting exactly like my mother. And once I realized that, I quickly began to work on myself and not react to everything because everything doesn't need a reaction. Present day, my mother and I were working on our relationship, but just a few weeks ago, we had a disagreement. And at this point, sis is tired, y'all. I'm tired of the same old song. And so I've decided to keep my distance from her until I see some changes in her behavior. I know she wants to change and wants to have a better relationship with both my brother and I, but until she puts some real effort and action behind it, I personally have no energy left in me to give her. So I'm gonna let y'all sit with that while I get into this interview. My first guest has been in my corner since we were 13 years old. I cannot believe how fast time flies, man. She is a mother, a bomb-ass writer, my sister from another mister, mi favorita boricua, y mi mejor amiga, Anissa Arredondo, better known as Nisi to me. Hey, girl. How are you, Liz? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to get into this. Okay. Well, um, first, can you just give the listeners a background? Um, tell them a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm Anissa. I'm 25 years old. I live in the burbs <laughs> and I have a six-year-old son um currently going through this bullshit ass <laughs> pandemic Man. um and going through it but 
um that's as real as it gets right now (laughs) okay well let's get um into this interview then um how has your family dynamics impacted you um positively and then um negatively okay well honestly I feel like what's negative and positive are interchangeable yep so I was raised by a single mother a mother of three I have an older brother an older sister and I'm the baby um my dad was in my life until five I was five years old Mm -hmm. and then they got a divorce we moved out um we originally lived in Berwyn Uh moved out to the Burbs and from then on my dad was probably in and out of my life until maybe I was eight um he would just kind of come in and wander whenever he felt like it it really was never consistent I'd probably see him maybe twice in a year Mm -hmm. or maybe a couple times in a month but it was never on a consistent level um so being raised by a single mom I think really helped and set a a pretty strong mindset Mm -hmm. for not just me but my brother and my sister agree um positively my I think my upbringing has shown me what struggle means yeah and I mean you know what it's like when you gotta take out the candles and you gotta yep. put the stove on for that <laughs> 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 right like it it definitely I feel like being raised by a single mother makes me um appreciate life more um to see how they handled adversity with no problem well not really or they didn't really show us their sweat or whatever like it it showed me that no matter what where there's a will there is a way and like even though like I said as a parent some things my mom didn't do right I'll never take the credit away from her of how she raised me and how me seeing her as a strong, independent woman has influenced me to be the same. So right, right. flaws and all, I am the woman that I am today because of my mother. And that's, that's period. Exactly. And that's exactly how I feel because, um, because I am Latina. The, my mom is Puerto Rican and my dad is Mexican. Coming from, um that Mexican household, even just in general, I think Latinas face a lot of that, you know, the men work and the women cook, take care of your kids, mm-hmm. and that's that's really all they're good for. But growing up with a single mom, she, she showed me that, that that's not the way mm-hmm. and that's not the only, only. way. Yeah. Um, because... 
you can make it in this world and be strong and do things on your own. And me and my sister have done that. And I think we've accomplished mm-hmm. a lot by not depending on um, a man. Um, and, you know, I'm glad that I understood that from a very young, young age. Because, mm-hmm. shit, as soon as I turned 16, legally able to get a job, that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I also feel like though, being raised without a father figure in my life has affected me negatively more so because sure, my mom, all power to her, honestly, like she gave, she, she gave me love, love, attention, affection, all Mm -hmm. that. But what's different is that love and attention you get from your father. That's your first love. That's mm-hmm. your, you know. Nope, for real. And I didn't have that. So negatively growing up, I was seeking that mm-hmm. in a lot of relationships. relationships. Yeah. Or even just just in men in, in general. general. And not that I had all these crazy relationships but they were always toxic mm-hmm. always you know um there was nothing healthy about it about it um yeah i definitely agree with you you know like the love that we give from our parents is the love that we seek whether it's healthy or unhealthy and literally like i talked about in the last episode is i was out here loving dysfunctionally because that's what I saw right and so again it's just learned behaviors but um even though I did have a father figure in my life and shout out to my daddy for you know loving me unconditionally and showing me what it's like to be loved by a man it was still because he wasn't my father it still was a difference exactly um so let's get into question number two. Um, what generational curses have you broken or intend to break? Um, well, generational curses. So I come from, um, obviously, I don't know if I would say a broken home, but yeah, broken. not broken family, right? A broken family. Um, my first attempt (laughs) at trying to you know not that I tried to have a family but when I got pregnant I really tried to make that work Mm -hmm. um but I'm 18 at the time still a kid Mm -hmm. not really uh knowing or or even understanding what a relationship needs Mm -hmm. to grow Mm -hmm. and what um, I need to give the other person that just whole, that whole thing fell apart. Um, but in future, I do plan to keep a healthy establishment for not only me and my husband, Mm -hmm. but for me and my children right 
um, you know, and I'm not saying like that's something that we necessarily need mm-hmm. because what you want. Yeah, it. I definitely, you know, growing up, you know, I don't, I don't know what that's like to say, oh, hey, dad, like what. Right. You know, for a long time, I was calling my dad my sperm donor. Girl, because that's what the hell I call my father. <laughs> or when I'm talking to my brother, yo daddy, because, man, I ain't even going to get started. Don't do that. But, <laughs> but no, I, I feel you because it's just like that's all you did was donate sperm. You didn't raise me. Right. You don't deserve that title as a father. But I've, over the years, I've, I've work through my own daddy issues quote unquote mm-hmm. and i'm i'm able to just say dad because whatever like i'm yeah i'm not really into just saying sperm donor anymore it is what it is it was what it was and i was able to move on from it um but also now as a parent i realized what a lot of my growing up consisted of was um and I don't want to make it sound like my mom was some kind of bitch or whatever but (laughs) you know a lot of it was like discipline like Mm -hmm. listen to me Mm -hmm. you need to listen to me why because I'm the parent you're the child right and it's because I said so and it wasn't an explanation no and I feel like we need that explanation just because you said so but why I don't understand why you said so tell me exactly and I never I never received that conversation I didn't ever understand why I was just always so mad huffing and puffing like man she's out here just you know being a bitch but like she wasn't she wasn't she like was just, protecting you. just you know doing the best that she could but now as a parent I really work on trying to have those conversations with my son and uh-huh. getting him to understand yo like that wasn't cool we need to do this next time and I'm here and I'm telling you and I get upset sometimes uh-huh. I'm human but understand it's all love. It's coming from a place of love. a place of love. And I really also work on saying sorry when I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think parents even understand how much of a sorry would have gone. So far. Yeah. Because, yeah, they're your parents, but that doesn't mean they're always right. It's... Say it again. Say, wait. <laughs> Say it again for the people in the back. Just because they're your parents, they are not always right. We are human, and we all make mistakes. Yes. Um. Let me piggyback off of that. So, Miss Lockett, if you are listening, <laughs> just because you are my mother and you have my best interests at heart, which I know, does not mean that you are always right. And with that being said, when I approach you and I'm telling you, no, mom, you're wrong, I'm not discrediting you as a mother. I will always give you your credit. I will always respect you as my mother. I will always love you as my mother, but you are wrong. And if you could just take accountability 
for your mistakes, we could make so much more progress. And that's literally what I want. And I feel like that's literally what my brother wants. It's just first be accountable. Right. It's okay. Parents don't know everything. I'm not even a parent. And I help, you know, I'm a part of a village where I help, you know, raise my nephews and stuff. (laughs) It does. And I understand certain things now that you said as an adult. I do get it. But still, it's like parents, nobody knows everything. You know what I'm saying? And so that's that. So that actually brings me into my next question is, um, (laughs) as a parent, what things have you done that you said you would never do <laughs> when you have your own kids, cause uh, <laughs> I used to say I wasn't whipping kids, but baby, oh no, <laughs> listen, you say you're not gonna touch your kids. <laughs> I now I'm not saying like I'm beating my son up, right. <laughs> but no, I, kids do need discipline. For no, real. I I definitely agree. Like, parent, you know, you. I'm not saying this needs to happen in every situation. Every yeah. every time you get upset, every time they do something wrong. But, yeah, when, you know, there are, there is a time and place for everything. Right. So, mm, I mean, there's been a couple. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so let's, let's take it back. And this one I, I feel really bad about <laughs> just because <laughs> at the time he was three going on four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mind you, at that time, I was 20 or 21, mm-hmm. and I was going to school, I was working a full-time job, my son was in daycare, so I put my eight hours at work, he put his eight hours in at daycare, and so really, I mean... It sucks, but we really didn't have that, you know, one-on-one time. Really, mm-hmm. that kind of was saved for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and during his time at daycare for maybe about a month or so, he was just bad. Like, <laughs> I kept getting a report from his teacher like, oh, he bit this kid. He <laughs> was fighting over some toy. He was... You know, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, he, what is he doing? <laughs> and so I, the first time, or maybe the first couple times that I got those reports, I, you know, I did talk to him. I did tell him, like, yo, like, that's not cool. You, we don't do that. That's, that's just a no. Don't, you know. But there was just this one time, and more so I feel like that this came out of just my frustration with mm-hmm. you know my anxiety to just going to school working and you being know, a mom that's three jobs right yeah there. and I told him the next time I get a report we're going to take all your toys oh I remember and this. and we're gonna go give them to goodwill because they belong with kids that deserve <laughs> deserve these toys. And honestly, I feel bad because a four what four year old really understands what the hell you're really trying to talk about. Yeah. Me. So the next time I got a report, that's exactly what 
I did when I got home. And he was standing with me, picking up all the toys, <laughs> putting them in bags. And we really drove to Goodwill and gave up his shit. Y'all, she not lying. Because I, I swear, <laughs> I remember this. And I was like, oh. And I, you know what? Even my mom, even my sister, um, even his dad, that, you know, he was just like, what? what are you doing like you just did like way too much like you're traumatizing this kid and at the time it I thought it was a good idea because again growing up I was always taught okay you don't do this right this is getting taken away from you right but my error was not realizing that he is still too young to really understand mm-hmm. and I need to I need to really really hone into that parent role mm-hmm. as a mother and really more so explain than get frustrated and get mad so I that's something I didn't ever think I would do <laughs> um and obviously um there was one time we did take a trip to Mexico and this kid, you know, I don't trust, I'm not, you know, I don't <laughs> trust strangers like that. For real. And he was, we were at some bus station and waiting on a bus and he was running in and out, back and forth, not listening to me. And there was a time that he did that, that he ran into the street where the buses were coming. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, okay, he really want to die. Like, he really, like, what is he doing? So, like, I probably told him, honestly, I feel like I told him eight times, stop doing all the shit that he was doing. And the last time he ran into the street, I I hit him. I hit him. And I I did, I always told myself, like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to put my hands on my kids. Like, yeah. But that like in that moment you like oh it's been, like that's a moment for me like that's scary scary yeah definitely. and you know you know i i already told him so many times <laughs> um yeah i do believe in affirmative action here and there yeah. you know what i'm saying because it's just like if you're constantly saying something and they don't get it it's just like okay well how do i make them understand and like I grew up I got whoopings and I feel like I turned that well now some of them whoopings I don't feel like I deserve Mm -hmm. because you know my mama was strict and most of the time my whoopings came because me and my brother was fighting so I really feel like he should have just been the only one getting whoopings (laughs) because he was the oldest (laughs) but um it definitely made me into the woman that I am today and it's just like us being minorities it's just like we have to start at home because right the outside world don't care about it nope and so nope. i don't think that it's anything wrong with discipline it's just the amount you know what i'm saying and how you go about it so i don't think you did anything wrong and you live and you learn you know what i'm saying right. and the fact that you could be accountable for that like i commend you for that especially being a young parent like it's not hard like you were still a kid when you had your kid. So exactly. now you have blossomed into this woman and you can come and speak on the mistakes that you made and say, I messed up and apologize to your son. Like that's, that's huge. Right. And I feel like more parents 
need to do that. Young parents, especially Generation X, they, I don't know what's wrong with our parents. <laughs> but <laughs> we're not a part of that. No, we're not. But, um, you know, hopefully with people listening to this, that, you know, it'll give them a new perspective and maybe make them think differently. So thank you for sharing that um, with us. And then my last question, well, my last question then, I want your advice. Um, my last question is, how have you dealt with some of the childhood traumas that you experienced? Like, what have you done personally to deal with things that affected you um, in your childhood and somewhat in your adult life? Self-awareness. Um, honestly, it all stemmed down to self-awareness mm-hmm. and... Um, I, you know, everybody's on that self-love journey. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people think it's corny, but it's so vital, man. um, especially growing up a minority. I Mm -hmm. mean, I don't think a lot of people understand how different our lives are. Yeah. And, um, I I probably found self-love, like... 2017 2018 that's where it started for me too and i i write you know like i've been writing we've been writing since seventh grade yeah middle school so you know damn bitch we old (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Uh, but but, yeah but yeah like so it started with me really kind of I, I don't know, sometimes, and I think whoever's listening as a writer, you can relate. Yeah. You just have so much you need to dump out, but really, it's it's only paper that's really going to understand what you're, you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And there was just a time where I, I just kind of wrote and wrote mm-hmm. and wrote. And from there, I started reading Cause when you know when we were younger, no, I was not a reader. We were definitely not. Not I was, for. I was like, oh, you? Did anybody look these up on? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I just that wasn't my thing. Again, when I was younger, I was chasing after boys that didn't matter. So reading was not my type priority. Uh-huh. And when once I wrote and I started reading books um and I even uh I started following a few uh other poets mm-hmm. um like on social media and realizing like wow some of these people feel and have gone through exactly what I have so mm-hmm. I'm not the only one so really what what's helped me is staying in Mm self-awareness and accepting and taking accountability for what I've gone through and Mm -hmm. what I've done Mm -hmm. as an individual because I feel like a lot of people sit on that oh well I'm like this because of the way I was brought up and I'm like this because well I didn't have my dad there and you know I I don't know what I got trust issues I got you know daddy issues all that shit but it's 
it all comes down to you really have to sit down and sit with yourself and say, do I want to change for the better mm-hmm. or do I want to still stay stuck in the same pattern and yep. place as, you know, generations before me, which is what this whole episode's about. Yeah. You know, you got to start with yourself and change your own perspective and you know, it starts with self-awareness and accountability. Seriously. Okay, well, before you go, can you um, give some positive words to the, um, I'm not, well, specifically young mothers, um, millennials, and um, hopefully our our parents and grandparents uh, take heed as well to the advice. What what is one of the besides you know saying sorry and you know and being accountable what's something that you learned that's been significant in your parenting with you and your son what's one thing that i learned um what i've learned is that it's okay to show emotion. I'm so glad you just <laughs> said that. I am so glad you just said that. Oh my God. We talked about that. So many times. Because see this is where it comes from. This is you know. this As an adult. This is how and why I realized. You know. My mom. Granted did the best she could. But. I. I had to understand, like, she had a lot on her plate. So, obviously, she's human. She's frustrated. She's upset. She's going through her own shit, you know. But, again, as, like, a parent, you're not willing to show your kids that hard side. Honestly, I've only seen my mom cry five times my whole life. And three of those times are probably only because someone has passed. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't realize how fucked up that is. Mm-hmm. Because that's something I think I've grown up with. It's only until now that I'm okay with crying. Yep, same. I'm okay with telling somebody, hey, like, you hurt my feelings. Yep. <laughs> you know? And... I think a lot of people, not even just parents, but just people in general, they don't want to show emotion that they're capable of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and it is so hard to show that, especially when you've grown up uh, having to put on this hard shell yep. and a you know a mask. Man. But if you can break through that and tell yourself it's okay then honestly that's you can really run with that and you can accomplish so much well Misi, i appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences i always enjoy every conversation we have uh her mom used to joke all the time when I would come over and she like oh y'all talk all day like we literally <laughs> we will like every day after school like me her and our other friend like we used to just sit and we used to just talk like um but I'm so so happy that 
over the years, no matter where I lived or when I was out of state, that Nisi was always in my corner. Mm-hmm. Y'all, like, for real, for real, I have so much respect and I admire her because you don't come across too many genuine people like that. No. And like I said, we met in seventh grade. We were 13 years old. We are both 25, a month apart, <laughs> literally, a, literally exactly a month apart. And she's been there for me and vice versa. And I am just so honored to still have a woman like that in my life. So shout out to you. And you guys, that is a wrap. Today's special guest is truly heaven sent. She's been holding me down since 2013, y'all. She is a woman of God, a survivor, an inspiration, one of my biggest supporters and motivators, a woman with a few degrees, my big sister, Miss Candace Nicole. Hey, sis. Welcome to Elephants in the Room. Hey, sis. Thank you so much even considering me to be part of this I'm very very (laughs) honored and very happy and like you said I'm always going to be supporting you so I'm very excited to be here well thank you so much for coming so can you um go ahead and tell elephants in the room a little bit about yourself some background please okay well um I am from Chicago I wasn't born there but I was raised in Illinois. So um, that's what I consider home. Right now I live in Houston, mm-hmm. Texas. I absolutely love Texas. So I'm sorry, but I ain't never coming back up north. Well, not to live at least. Um, <laughs> but currently I work in a maximum security uh, psychiatric hospital for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. So I work in the psychiatric hospital for the prison inmates. Um, I'm a mental health therapist. I graduated from ISU, you already know, and then I got my uh, I got my bachelor's of science in psychology there, and then I got my master's of education in counseling psychology from the University of Houston, and like I said, I just stayed in Houston. Um, currently, well, aside from Corona, when Corona's not here terrorizing everybody, um, I do free group <laughs> therapy because I really thought that I saw the need for accessibility for mental health therapy. And I said, you know what? God has Mm -hmm. done nothing but bless me with, you know, a full-time job that takes care of my bills and everything like that. Um, So I do work full-time, but then I was like, you know, God is going to give me that energy that he's going to give me the space. He's going to give me the foundation, the strength, everything that I need to do something that, excuse me, is much needed for this world. So I do free group therapy for the community of Houston. And then I also have a private practice, okay, called Healing Through Storge. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, And that provides accessible and affordable uh, individual, family, and couples therapy. So um, I'm very busy doing that. I'm in church three to four times a week. So, yeah, I mean, life is is good, as Future said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um... Yeah, that was a lot for the listeners, I'm sure, to take in. Yeah, my sister, y'all, she do it all. Um, And I would like to just comment when I visited her last year. Um, It was last June, I think, or July, somewhere around there. Um, I had the time of my life in Houston, y'all. And I did not go out. Like, I did not party. We didn't go to no clubs or any of that. We just, like, explored the city. Um, I got to see her 
um, conduct therapy. And it was amazing to watch, amazing to be a part of, to see a group of women who don't know each other um, be able to come and speak freely on their experiences and just to hear how much of us relate and have been through the same thing. So uh, I just want to commend you and shout you out for offering that because that's amazing. It's all too often that we get in these positions of power and we want to charge and overtax our people. And the fact that you're offering this service for free is just like, again, heaven sent. I'm trying to tell y'all like Candace is truly a blessing from God, has been a blessing from God to me since the day I met her. And Houston was last year was 2019. That was the first time I had seen Candace since I believe 2014 when she graduated from ISU. And we have remained close and tight-knit um, from the day I met her. Um, I, she is somebody I can call on to pray for me, pray with me. When my grandparents were murdered, y'all, this girl checked on me often. Like, she's just truly an amazing woman. So I just had to put that out there. But um, you, are you ready to get... You're welcome. Are you ready to get into this interview, girl? Yes, ma'am. I am ready. Throw it at me. Okay. So, um, again, episode six is family dynamics and breaking generational curses. And you know more than anybody about my experience. So, um, I definitely want to get into that. So, the first question is, how has your family dynamics impacted you um, positively? Okay, so you know what? I actually love that question. I'm glad that you started out with that question. Um, so I come from what would be considered a broken family. You know, broken families are where you don't have, you know, mother and the father in the home, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You have siblings, you know, who ha- who you share one parent, um, things like that. Right. But I've always considered my family a successful broken family um, because mm-hmm. we have definitely overcome a lot of those stereotypes and a lot of um, the traumas and a lot of um, difficulties, you know what I'm saying, that have been plagued upon what they call those broken families. Um, I'm very close mm-hmm. to my siblings. I have a good relationship with both the, you know, with both of my parents. Um, mm-hmm. But honestly, I think the main way that it has helped me is a lot of people get, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of people get some good training if they have two healthy parents and a healthy marriage mm-hmm. in the home. Um, a lot of people get some good training in, you know, a healthy marriage, a healthy partnership, healthy relationships. Um, and with me being raised by a single mother, she was extremely strong and she did a wonderful job at modeling to me healthy independence. So never to depend mm-hmm. on not just a man, but never to depend on anybody but myself. You know what I'm saying? And of course, God, mm-hmm. never to depend on any man-made person other than than myself. And then, of course, God. So with my, you know, quote unquote, broken family, I've been able to get that healthy independence model to me. So, you know, now mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm unmarried. I'm still in, I'm in my late 20s, but that's still very young. Um, but I have this independence. I, I, I have everything and beyond that I want and that I need. And that's because it was just me and God. And I was like, regardless of if I have a man, if I have, you know, um, I'm in a partnership, I'm in a relationship, I'm in a marriage, whatever the case may be, regardless of that, you need to go and get what you need to be able to have 
in order to do your purpose in this earth. And, and my purpose ended up being um, my vocational purpose, at least ended up being a, a mental health therapist. And so no matter who or mm -hmm. what I did or did not have, I was able to go out there and get that um, on my own. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I love that. Um, I, I definitely love that. So what generational curses have you broken? And um, what genera generational curse do you intend to break if you haven't already broken it? Okay. You know what? <laughs> I love it. Um, one of the <laughs> generational curses that I have broken, I, I believe, is um, getting help. Admitting, yes. admitting Ooh. your mental health, admitting that you're not always strong. Oh yes. Admitting that you're a human being, admitting that I'm very emotional. And, you know, mm -hmm. my, my family, I come from a family of very successful people, but people don't mm -hmm. tend to really talk about their emotions. People, you know, they, they have so, they, they have so much independence or so much strength that they just try to do it on mm -hmm. their own. But that's also mm -hmm. more of a, uh, a systemic uh, curse if you want to call it because that, that yes. you know a community curse not just generation mm -hmm. not just generational um because it transcends mm -hmm. generations but definitely in the black community it's like you know we've always mm -hmm. had the world on our back and yep. you know I think that my family has has kind of fallen into that as a lot of families have like you have the the world on your back and the purpose of life is to just get through it and get through it on your own as best as you can when in reality the purpose of life is to get through it in an abundant way because that's what God called us to. You know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. so, I, you know, I've always been sensitive. I used to be called dramatic and I used to be, you know, taunted and teased for that. But that actually became one of my biggest um, strengths is, is my sensitivity, is, you know, the fact that I'm so dramatic because that dramatization allowed me to express myself and allowed me to feel mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to express myself when I need to so that I don't get to mm -hmm. a point where it's just all building up and yeah. it ends up exploding. Because it's going to come out one of two ways. It's either going to come out properly and positively mm -hmm. and in a way that can lead to a testimony or it's going to come out negatively, negatively and in a detrimental way. And I'd rather do that in an expressatory way so that it's more beneficial. So that's one generational curse that I, I've, I've been breaking, you know, just. Mm -hmm. being able to understand that strength comes from a lot of external things it's not all internal it's not just you it's who God uses what God uses the environment spaces people places and things that God uses to help create that strength within you you're not just supposed to sit down and lay down and you know keep everything suppressed and just keep moving on like you're not going to be able to move on as beneficially as possible or as efficiently excuse me or effectively as possible so that's one. Um, well, that's one that I that I think I've I've broken. Mm -hmm. What about something that you intend to break? Well, you know, honestly, I don't know if this is a a generational curse or not. I'm I'm still figuring this out with God, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, like I said, I come from a very independent, strong, single mother who has done absolutely amazingly, not just for herself, but in raising me. You know what I'm saying? I honestly, I never felt the she might tell you a different story but I don't think that <laughs> I've ever felt the burden of not you know having my father in the house you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. I was always like oh people have mothers and fathers okay whatever I have a mother and I'm just fine you know what I'm saying so right. I think that I, like I said I don't know if it's necessarily a generational curse 
um, I would like to, you know, talk more with with my mother. Unfortunately, my biological grandmother is deceased, but just talk more with my mother and my aunties and different uh-huh. entities of my family to to learn more. I, there's not a lot of history. My yes. my family doesn't talk a lot about our history, which like, that goes back right. to what I was saying about we don't really open up about the failures as much yeah. as we, you know, open up about the successes. And I think both of those are necessary to have a full picture of what you're going through. You know what I'm saying? But, mm-hmm. um, so, but honestly, in my own words, I would consider it some sort of, you know, generational curse or some sort of generational nuance. And so I genuinely mm-hmm. want to break that and not just have a marriage because I mean, you know me, sis, like I, I definitely want marriage and marriage has always been mm-hmm. a goal of mine, even before I even knew what real love was. It's always been a goal of mine, right. but now it's not just the marriage. It is a healthy marriage that healthy. can, that can have two disciples of Christ ha- being able to create more disciples of Christ and bring them to God. And then our children will be able to, you know, uh, have a lot more generational blessings, create a lot more people who, you know, mm-hmm. we, we can just bring to Christ. So I think that I, that's the generational thing that I want to break is to have a genuinely healthy marriage um, and just raise, you know, emotionally intelligent, emotionally mature, developmentally intelligent, developmentally mature, um, you know, uh, beings of Christ. Okay, say that. Um, I love, love, love that. I agree as well. Um, I definitely over the years have tried to get my mother to open up about what she experienced as a child because I want to know because when I talk to her about certain things, you know, you don't know. I I had it hard when I was your age and this and that. Okay, well, tell me. Explain to me what you went through so that I can have a better understanding of you and maybe I won't be so hard and criticize you as a parent because I understand, well, okay, this is why you are the way you are. But in that same regard, okay, I understand this is why the way you are, but you need to open up and you need to talk about it so that you can get through it and change it because it has affected um, both of your children. So I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, Let's see where I want to go. Tell me about a childhood experience that affects you or affected you in your adult life. So I'll say like college, even though we really not like adults in college for really learning, but that's when we start learning ourselves. So that that's what I would consider like your adult life, college and on. Okay, a childhood experience that affected my adulthood. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in a good way, in a positive way, or just it's, anyway. Either it doesn't matter. Hmm. Okay. 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 Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. A childhood experience <laughs> that has affected me. Now, I mean, there's there's been a lot. <laughs> um, I'm gonna try not to keep it too heavy. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> hmm. I would say. I keep relating it back to the same thing, but I think that these, I mean, especially with the topic being, you know, generational curses, generational blessings, the, the functioning of a family, the dynamics of a family. Um, I'm going to stick, stick with, with that. I'm going to relate it to that. So honestly, I think my, just my childhood experience of, like I said, being raised by a, a single mother, but, you know, not seeing what a lot of people 
may have seen or what the stereotype is when you are raised by a single parent, especially as, a, you know, a single black woman and the woe is me type deal. Like, oh, you know, all black men, they leave their black women single bubble, you know, all those things that, that are stereotypes, mm-hmm. but are not necessarily true. Like I said, I saw so much strength within my mom. Um, and I mean, I saw her working, like just working, 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 not girl, I feel like Drake. Um, <laughs> working, 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 <laughs> like, you know, but she, she really just got what she needed, but she was still human. I saw that humanity within her as much as she did not want me to see that. I saw that mm-hmm. humanity within her and I saw how she got through. Um, mm-hmm. Like she, she balanced her humanity with having to push through because I have a child and I'm trying to do the best that I can. You know what I'm saying? I saw that. And I mean, there, there have been some very difficult, deep and dark times, but there have also been some amazing times. And that I think has given me the strength all my life. People have told me, wow, Candace, you're so strong. You're, you're so strong. Mm-hmm. You know, people come to me. And that's not to to be, you know, boastful about me because it's it's not about me. It's it's the strength that God has given me. But he has used what I've gone through in my childhood, seeing a mother be human, but still try to do the best that she can as as a single single woman and a single mother. Um, God created a, a, a source of strength that affected me so tremendously in my adult life because people mm-hmm. always are able to come to me. And that has to do with my purpose. Like I have a vocational purpose of being a therapist, but aside from being a therapist, even in my personal relationships, I am that person. And I thoroughly love being that person who people know that they can trust, who people know that they can come to, who people know that they can open up to without fear of judgment, who people know that they Mm -hmm. can open up to with, without fear of, of, of not understanding. Like I've been through a lot of my life, but there's a lot that I mm-hmm. haven't been through in my life. But somebody brings something to me that I have not been through in my life. And I'm still, there's some reason, some way that my mind kind of puts it together. My brain just pieces these things together to still give people a sense of understanding. Like, and, and it really helps me to relay that message to this world that you are not alone. And I think that my experience with, like I said, once again, having a, a single mother, but a single mother who didn't live that woe is me maybe she did behind closed doors but never in front of my face she didn't really Mm -hmm. live that woe is me um you know life but like I said you know everything wasn't perfect so she there were a lot of deep and dark times and those were the things that I was like okay I see how she's handling that or how she is or is not balancing that I want to do my life differently and balance it out in a different way which even if you even if you know there are great things you still want to figure out how to do it in an, in a better way because there's always room for improvement you know True. but mm-hmm. yeah like honestly that would be the 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 biggest thing I was really trying to come up with an answer and I was like I don't really know but I think that kind of just flowed um most authentically because you know I was able to it all relates to the purpose that God has for me right. and how he's going mm-hmm. to definitely give you a path um mm-hmm for you to follow and everything on that path is going to align with what you need to, to have everything bestowed within you to follow out what he has for you. Mm-hmm. That's crazy because I literally was watching service from Sunday today. Um, and the message was new as now. And basically they, um, well, Pastor Jamal Gwen was talking about that. Uh, I am going to touch on that later on in the outro, but Yes, I will come back 
to what you said because I wholeheartedly believe that that is true. And now that I am fulfilling my purpose with this podcast and just really being vulnerable and opening up about my experiences, it's very fulfilling because people are coming to me like, oh my goodness, like I didn't know, or thank you, you're you're helping me build with my my experiences or you're an inspiration like when people tell me that honestly I'd be like me right inspiration <laughs> like I ain't shit yet but okay <laughs> but I appreciate it um you know so I always tell you you're an inspiration I know and I just I like for me to hear that from you and you have always been one of my biggest inspirations like that's a compliment that Honestly, will always probably leave me speechless. And I'm like, girl, me, you look at all the shit that you have <laughs> done. I appreciate it always. Um, so let's talk about some of those dark um, times. So tell me about um, some childhood trauma that you experienced, and then what have you what have you done to deal with that childhood trauma? Okay. Um... So, and the overarching thing that I think was most traumatic for me was, you know, feeling like I was the black sheep of my family. And that's not to, you know, mm-hmm. do a, a pity party on me because, I mean, I'm going to end up answering, you know, how I've overcome it. And, and that's why there's mm-hmm. no woe is me attitude for it. But I've always felt like the the black sheep of my family, which was the most traumatic for me because I, you know, everybody's talking about love languages nowadays. And I mm-hmm. wish that we were talking about it 28 years ago because people <laughs> people need to understand that love languages are so true. They're so important. Yeah. And the thing about it is if you want, if you love someone and you genuinely care about them feeling like you love them, which if you love someone, hopefully you care about them actually knowing that you right. love them. You know, you have to you understand exactly. You will try to speak their language no matter how unnatural that it might feel it, for yeah. you. And, you know, I grew up feeling unloved. Now, don't get me wrong. I know my family loved me, but there's a difference. Relatable. <laughs> yes. There's a, there is a significant difference between knowing and feeling. Matter of fact, I just prayed a, a strong prayer to God and he gave me so much peace because I was very honest with him. And I even told him, God, I know these, stri- these scriptures, but God, I need you to help me feel it. I need that feeling. Right. I need these 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 chemicals in my brain that make us happy, dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins. I need those things to be firing off in my head because I don't feel it even though I have the knowledge. And so it's kind of making me feel like th- that knowledge that I have is going to waste because I have, I'm spending mm-hmm. so much time feeling drained and burdened because I don't feel it. And girl, I mm-hmm. mean, when I, when I tell you I prayed that prayer, I mean, th- I had, this had been going on for a while and I prayed that prayer and the next day God said boom I've been waiting for you to pray that prayer and he has yeah. had me feeling it for over a month but sorry to go, go off on a tangent but um <laughs> you know I so I've always known that they love me because yeah they'll tell me that they love me and they've done a lot of things you know what I'm saying my family's very successful yeah. so you know financially people were able to do for for me um but as far as emotionally you know I was I, I have a lot of boy cousins you know so I, and they were more okay you know with that teasing everybody liked to tease especially black families like everybody liked right. to tease and so on and, and I'm sensitive <laughs> I am sensitive and I will never ever ever be ashamed ever again to say that I'm sensitive I don't like to play like at all I don't I don't have friends um or I don't play with my friends I don't play with my family like if y'all get to joking I'm not even gonna laugh because I don't want you to look at me and be like 
and you, boy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and don't you be laughing because I'm gonna get on you. Like, no, I will bust yeah, out. Yeah, because oh, I will bust out in tears. White people, we good for that Girl, shit. Okay, but I will bust out in tears. So I'll sit there in the corner, quiet. I'll keep a smile on, but I'm gonna sit there quiet because I don't want nobody to do that. But you know, I just like I said, I, I grew up feeling like people just didn't understand me because it was so much. Um, I felt like an outcasting, like, oh, there's the crybaby, or anytime Candace want to talk about something, it's crybaby Candace, or it's, it's drama queen Candace, or, you know, um, mm-hmm. oh, you here, here it go, here she go, bringing up another issue, here she go, bringing up another problem, <laughs> and in all actuality, that's what led me to where I am right now, being so happy and, and, and content um, internally and externally, you know what I'm saying? I, girl, I live in a high-rise in the middle of the city of Houston, I have a brand new convertible car. Like these are things, and you know what I'm saying? I'm only 28. You know what I'm saying? I have a private practice, a business of my own, stuff that I'm able to that I'm able to be the boss of on my own. You know what I'm saying? And it's because mm-hmm. I was the one who always wanted to address something. I was the one who, if there was an issue or if there was a boundary that needed to be put in place, I wanted to talk about it. Now, I didn't always I wasn't always comfortable like I am now. Now there's that boundary. If you right. can't respect that boundary, I don't care who you are. We gonna have to figure out what we got to do if you can't respect the boundary. But before it wasn't like that. I was vying for people's love, especially from the love of family, because those are the first people who are supposed to uh, love you. And I was vying so mm-hmm. much for people's love that I would just do outlandish things like not super crazy things but just outlandish things like I'm already very extroverted you know that I'm very very extroverted Mm -hmm. attention does not scare me at all but I would just do like some things that okay you look back now and you're like okay that wasn't necessary but it was like you wanted some sort of attention some sort of love because you wanted to feel this validation that you did not necessarily feel you knew it and you saw that they you know they they would have your back for anything and that's great to know all of that. But like I said, I didn't feel that. And so I would just go out of my way to do some outlandish things. Um, and when I say outlandish things, I wasn't like streaking in the middle of a park. I mean, outlandish, like, <laughs> like, uh, just like overextending myself, overextending myself, always, mm-hmm. always saying yes, never, ever, ever saying no to people. Because I felt like if I said no, I was disappointing somebody. If I was disappointing them, they don't love me. I'm inadequate. I I grew up with a lot, like my biggest traumatic thing with this childhood trauma was the feeling of inadequacy. And it Mm -hmm. it was like, as if you're never doing enough. And so I would overextend myself to make sure that I'm the one who is always there for somebody, whether that be emotionally, mentally, physically, um, uh, spiritually, in any other way. But when you overextend yourself and you continue to pour out, but nothing is pouring in, you know what I'm saying? Because I've I've always known God. I've always had a, a good relationship with God. My 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 mom and my family has raised me to always know God. But I didn't always go to God as my source of strength. Mm-hmm. So I'm just right. pouring out, and nothing is pouring in, and that's what made it so difficult for me to give out the the necessary and beneficial and and life bringing love instead of like a life draining mm-hmm. love. And so that childhood trauma had affected me because I started giving out life draining love. And I started receiving it as a uh, life draining instead of life giving. And so now mm-hmm. when I have turned that around and I go to the source, some of the, some of the problems are still there. Some of the problems have, have definitely been remedied and we're healing from them, but some of the problems are still there, mm-hmm. but the way that I handle it and the peace that I mm-hmm. have right now 
is because of how I turned around and I and I, I started going to a different source <clears throat> for love and for filling up so that I can heal and get through that childhood trauma of feeling so inadequate, unworthy, and unloved. Okay, sis. Come on. Drop this knowledge for us because I'm fucking <laughs> all of this up right now. Okay, I don't know if the listeners don't appreciate it as much as I do and I am, but come on. Talk your shit, sis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, why did you choose to become a mental health therapist are do you specialize in behavior am, am i correct on that or um not behavior therapy is as far as like, people who get like specialties in behavior therapy typically go into like autism work um or okay. you know work with that so I, I don't specialize in that but i mean just mental the mental health field in general is the behavioral okay. health field so yeah why did you choose to? I know you spoke on it a little bit um, earlier, but can you go into depth as to why you chose to do mental health therapy? Like, what was that moment um, in your studies where you were like, or before you even went to college, where you were like, I'm going to do mental health. This is my purpose. This is what I have to do. Girl, the the underlying factor the main foundation the key that I this is probably out of all the time that I've been asked that question this is probably my first time having a succinct answer and it's honestly Mm -hmm. because I did not want people to feel alone I wanted people Mm -hmm. to know that you do not have to feel alone that you are not alone Mm -hmm. um and so so that that's the the underlying like foundational succinct answer now in depth, it was it was more so, um, you know, at, even as a kid, like I said, that overextending of myself, it wasn't always mm-hmm. all bad. Because even as a kid, mm-hmm. I found myself loving to listen to people, but then I also found myself being that person who always had not the right thing to say. Like I'm, like I said, I'm I'm not boastful. I'm not always right. I'm I'm never always right. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it it was just I had a certain affinity towards finding the right words to say finding the right words to you know relay a sense of understanding to somebody and if I didn't understand it I wanted to show you look I'm going to try to understand it because I don't want you to feel like nobody in this world cares to understand what you're going through so a lot of stuff I understand because a lot of stuff that I've been through but then like I said there's a Mm -hmm. there are a lot of experience that I have not had and even with those experience I had the care and the concern to figure out how can I understand this and relay that understanding to that person and relay that care and concern to that person. So, um, you know, then I started studying psychology and whatnot in high school. And I was like, wow, I actually like how the brain uh, works. But I'm, I mean, actually learning about the specific brain was not my favorite thing. I just want to learn that stuff, I don't want to do the research, but I just want to use the research and get the results from the research, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, I, I started studying the brain and, and how, you know, why we, we do the things we do and how it affects us mm-hmm. and how trauma makes some somebody act this way, but that same trauma might not make an, another person with that same trauma act the, the same way, you know what I'm saying? And, um, but really when I was in high school, I was just like, I love talking to people and I love listening to people and I eventually will be an adult. And so I have to monetize this somehow. 
<laughs> but I've, I've been in therapy in my childhood. Like all throughout my childhood, I've been in a lot of different uh, forms of therapy, sexual abuse therapy, um, you know, just individual therapy, different things like that. So I, and it's crazy because I still didn't know that I was going to be called a therapist. Girl, when I was in high school, I was walking around telling everybody, oh yeah, I'm going to become a psychiatrist. Girl, far from that. I'm not going to medical school for eight years, like all the surgeries go, <laughs> just to be able to die to prescribe you some medication. That's that's the only difference. Like, no. But I had therapists all my life and still didn't even know what it was called. So when I went, my plan uh, graduating from high school was I was going to get a PhD in psychology and um, mm-hmm. do what I'm doing. And so I, my first year of college, I met with. Um, the chair, it was like, you know, orientation week. And I met with the department head of the psychology department. And of course he has a PhD. And he, and he asked me, okay, look, tell me specifically what you want to do. I said, I want to be the frontline man. I want to be the person who talks to people, who listens to people, who helps them out through talking. He said, do you have, you know, a, a care for medication? I said, no, I'll leave that to somebody else. He said, okay, boom, you don't want to be a psychiatrist. You stop telling people that. I said, okay, cool. <laughs> so um, then he was like, you, you want to, do you want to do a whole lot of, you know, research? No, hate research. I just want to use the research, but I don't want to conduct the research or, constru- or I want to conduct the research, but I don't want to construct the research. He said, boom, you don't want to be a psychologist. You don't need a PhD. He said, this is what you need to do. You need to get a master's. He said, I'm never going to discourage education, but I'm not going to have you wait, you know, waste extra time or utilize extra time. It wouldn't be a waste, obviously, but no. utilize extra time that you don't necessarily need. You can always go back and get your PhD. He said, right now, focus on getting your master's because that'll allow you to get the licensed professional counselor um, license to be a therapist. And you'll be able to be that frontline man. Whereas people with, you know, PhDs, they become supervisors. They do a lot of research. They do a lot of stuff that I'm not interested in doing. And I said, you saved my time, my money, my energy, and my mental health. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so that was really the trajectory from kid up until learning how to actually, you know, best, of course, monetize it and and, and live off of uh, my passion. Okay. Well, what challenges have you faced as a woman in your career field? Well, I feel like my career field won't have as many challenges as like other career fields, such as engineering, medicine, Mm -hmm. business, so on and so forth, because, you know, those are very male dominant fields. You know, luckily, my field is very female dominant. But with the system of patriarchy just running rampant in our lives for so many generations, (laughs) um, you know, patriarchy is always going to be a systemic, you know, oppression towards um, one of my minorities, which is a woman. Um, right. you know, so I think, I think more, I, I think more of what I've experienced was ageism and, and rather than, um, you know, women, because like I said, my field is very women dominant. Um, uh-huh. and so challenges that I face is just being a young woman, being a young black woman, like you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I, I got my mm-hmm. first job in my career field when I was still in graduate school, which is not supposed to happen and you know but Mm -hmm. by the grace of God and so of course people are looking at me like oh you know this girl looks like this this girl you know she's you know she has this personality she's this she's that and that's what made them start you know um 
demeaning or degrading my expertise. Like I had no expertise mm-hmm. because I didn't know anything. Um, but honestly, what, this this might be a little out there, but one of the biggest things that I faced as a woman is because of how I look. Like, I mean, I'm a young woman. I keep my myself up to, you know, in shape. She don't want to say it. She don't want to say it. So I'm going to say it for y'all. Sis is fine. No, okay. Like she, she's from, shut up. Don't even, <laughs> please don't fight with me. Okay. She is from home. She's from the city, y'all, but she lives in Houston. And if y'all been to Houston and y'all know how they shave, sis is a hottie. Okay, so she wants to be humble and all of that. That's cool. I'm going to just put it. Sis is fine. Okay, sis got body, all of that. And I'm pretty sure that because she looks the way, and I talked about this in my last episode of being an attractive female in the workplace, you know, people try to discredit or undermine you because of the attention you receive by how you look, but it's just like, I can't control that. So I definitely get what you're saying. Yes, (laughs) and you said it perfectly. You said it so succinctly. And even like, you know, like family members, friends, like coworkers, supervisors, people are always trying to tell me what to do and what not to do. And it's like, no, we need to be trained. You guys are are training these disgusting men. It's always men, okay? Sometimes it's women too. (laughs) Women, we be tripping. But we know darn well that majority of the time it's men. And we're training these men to continue being disgusting and continue being lustful and continue, you know, breaking boundaries because of the way that we look. Like, no, I can wear a muumuu and tie my hair up and take all of my nails off and not put my eyelashes and and throw my eyebrows on. It's not going (laughs) to matter. Somebody is still going to have that lustful look in their eye. So it doesn't matter whether I provoke it as people like to say, I'm not provoking anything because I am making myself feel good for myself. I like, you know, I like my nails long. You know, I like my hair either super big and curly or super long. So that's going to get attention. I have red hair. I'm going to throw me on some really long eyelashes. My makeup's going to be beat regardless of if I'm going to the grocery store, if I'm going to work out or if I'm going to, to the workplace. Like that's just me because that makes me feel good for myself. I don't do it for anybody else. And so that's been my biggest struggle because people always want to de- to <clears throat> demean what it is or, or to tell you to to shrink yourself. What like um right like um oh I can't, what is her name the one who who did the that feminist speech and we know everybody knows it because of Beyonce but well you know we know it outside of Beyonce but it became popular because of how Beyonce put it in her song but we really do teach women to shrink themselves and me mm-hmm. being the person that I am being so so uh, strong-headed and strong-willed I'm never going to allow anybody to shrink me and that's going to be that testimony that the future generations need you don't stop mm-hmm. doing something that feels good for you as long as you're doing it for you if you're doing it for somebody else then okay, you might need to check into that. But if it's beneficial because you're doing it for yourself, never shrink yourself, never reduce yourself, never decrease yourself, never make yourself smaller to fit in somewhere. I'm going, the the reason that I am where I am is not because I wore less makeup, I wore a certain type of clothes because I have this type of body shape. No, I wore what I felt, what made me feel good. I wore the makeup mm-hmm. that made me feel good. I did my my nails the way that I felt good. I wore the shoes that made me feel good. And I still got everything that I want. And I'm still getting everything that I want. Because you not okay, we're not yeah. gonna train these men or just just people in power to to make you shrink yourself for the liking for the likeness of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, say that. that. 
ain't had to say that. <laughs> and I I made my mind up about that probably in I would say like 2017, but I've been standing firm in it since uh 2018. And it's just like it's such a great feeling to know that I made up my mind. I tolerated this in the past, but I damn sure ain't gonna tolerate it now. And I don't care who feels the way about it because at the end of the day, this is my life. And I'm happy and with what I choose. So with my situation at my last job, it was just like, all right, y'all want me to sit here and not say anything and just act blind to what y'all are doing. And I won't do it. It's no amount of money in this world that's going to make me shrink myself and try to dumb down myself for the sake of somebody else. You'll never fucking see that again. Oh, (laughs) that's that on that. Um, It's their law. What? (laughs) <laughs> seriously though uh my job is still posted on indeed the last time I was actually looking for his eyes and I was just like uh, isn't that funny right but um <laughs> what is one of the most rewarding feelings you get from counseling others the most rewarding feeling that I get from counseling others girl I mean it's it's, it's the thing that I've been talking about um, that that I stated previously, it's other people feeling like they're not alone. And I love that that's the rewarding feeling that I get because you mm-hmm. can help somebody to feel like they're not alone with one situation, which helps you mm-hmm. to not be so scared about, oh my gosh, am I actually going to be able to long-term help this person? It takes away mm-hmm. that 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 uh, stressor or that, that feeling of, you know, that anxiety because, I mean, as there's another podcast that that I spoke on um, and he kind of talked about this, how, you know, therapists in all actuality, if we're being honest, we don't know if we're going to be able to help every client that comes in, like any client that comes in, Mm -hmm. we don't know if we're going to be able to help you. We figure that out together as we're going through Mm -hmm. it. And so I think that it removes a a burden and a stressor um, because I, I feel so fulfilled whenever I, I help somebody to see that they are not alone. And you can do that in a very short period of time. And I spend, you mm-hmm. know, I have clients and patients and whatnot that I, I do spend an elongated period of time with. But like I said, it's like I'm more so gunning for that one hour, that 30 minutes or however long that we have with each other, that one time for you to see, you know what, even if it was for this one hour, two hours, you felt like you weren't alone. That's something that is so fulfilling to me. So, mm-hmm. excuse me, that is one of the, that is the most rewarding thing is to, to know that whether it be for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, a whole day, a whole week, a whole month, a whole year, I, if I have helped somebody to feel like, you know what, I am not alone. I just, I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. That's literally what God put me here for. Yeah, because it's been helping me for seven years and a lifetime to go you're a lifetime okay (laughs) but you have helped me in so many ways it's like you pour you pour so much into me as well so it's like it it, that part is easy when you got people who pour back into you the ones who you're pouring into and you pour you guys are the ones who pour so much into me that the ones that I'm pouring out into who are not able to reciprocate in that time it's because of Mm -hmm. you know other people that God is using such as you who pours into me, you know what I'm saying? Right. Okay. Thank you, sis. That just made me smile. Yes, <laughs> okay, last but not least. Um, 
to those who are struggling right now since we are in a pandemic or just have been struggling before, um, could you give some professional advice and wise words to those suffering right now um, as to just dealing with um, whatever their personal traumas or just stressful situations? Hmm. Okay. So going, going off of trauma, since, you know, that that's a lot of what we have been talking about um, on, on today's episode, I, a lot of people are experiencing high anxiety, which is 100% understandable. You know, some people have lost mm-hmm. jobs. Um, some people unfortunately have lost family members, um, lost their own health if they've had it. Um, and so we know that there, you know, all of those details are, are part of it. But a lot of people, including myself, have found this time that was actually so scary because I, girl, I was, I was worried because you know how extroverted I am. And y'all mm-hmm. telling us to quarantine, meaning by myself <laughs> and being alone, like, no, that's the worst thing for somebody with my type of personality. And mm-hmm. this has honestly been one of the best times for me because I've been able to grasp a different level of healing that I would not have been able to grasp otherwise. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so with this time, yes, we're all going through some high anxiety for one reason or another. Some people lost their jobs and so they're they're highly stressed. Some people still have their jobs, but we're trying to get out of their jobs prior to Corona happening. And so now mm-hmm. that, you know, they still have to go to that stressful job, but then they don't have those stress relievers because, you know, we're, we're quarantining and whatnot. It does it doesn't matter if you lost your job or if you kept your job, it's a very, very high stress time. And so using this time, okay, to identify your triggers, you know what I'm saying? Even if you don't have access to a professional who can help you to sort out those triggers and, and recognize how those triggers affect your everyday life, just doing the beginning work, the foundational work of sitting there in, 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 uh, identifying, okay, when I'm in this sort of environment or when I have these type of thoughts or when I talk to this type of person or when I look at this type of social media or when I do this type of activity or when I'm in this type of home, these are things that make me feel happy. These are things that make me feel sad. These are things that make me feel angry. These are things that make me feel full. These are things that make me feel empty. These are things that drain me. These are things that fill me up. Those things mm-hmm. that those that foundational piece, those steps are not things that you need a professional to tell you to do. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes we we don't know to do that. But what I'm saying is that I don't want people to think, oh, I can't do this. She's saying do this, but I can't do it until I get me into a therapist or a social worker. No, you can start doing these things and identifying these things on your own. And honestly, I think I mean, there's a lot of things, advice that I can give. Um, to help people but just going along with the topic of like you know just fun, uh, of uh, family dynamics um, generational curses um, and generational traumas and things like that right now where you are whether you are in a great situation um, with this whole corona thing going on or whether you have not been in the best situation all of us are able to do this activity such as just identifying like I said identifying those triggering things um so that when you do have access to a, a professional or um, even just somebody who, you know, might be able to help you out a little bit more, some, maybe some self-help books, however it is that you 
grasp your healing or, or your, you know, your, your church ministry, however it is that you choose to, to go about getting your healing, at least you'll have, you know, a, a definitely a huge step, a huge foundation, a huge foot in the door. If that makes sense. Okay. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate your wise words as always. I appreciate your listening ear, your prayers. Man, you have really been a major blessing in my life. So thank you so, so much for coming on to do this episode with me. And um, that is a wrap for our interview, Sissy. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, like I said, for even considering me. Because I do not take it lightly when people, you know, ask me to do these things. I'm always willing to. I'm always willing to share any knowledge. I'm always willing. I'm always a big learner. And I love to learn from other people and just learn through just genuine, authentic discussion. And so I don't mm-hmm. I don't take it lightly that you, you know, asked me to do this and be part of this and, and learn something as well as give something out. So I appreciate you, love. Okay, well, before you go, sis, um, where can they find you on social media and especially um, about your group therapy and um, your private practice? Please let the listeners know. Yes, ma'am. So um, primarily everything is done on my, my business page on Instagram. Um, but you can also email me and I'll give that email in a second. But on Instagram, it's healing through Storge. So healing is spelled the regular way through is spelled the regular way. And Storge is S-T-O-R-G-E. And on that page, we have, um, you know, mental health discussions. That's how you can reach me about mental health services, about mental health resources. Um, But it's also just, you know, one of those pages that we all need. With social media, we know that it can become burdensome and we need to feel, but that's, you know, that's our responsibility. If you know that your mind is, is susceptible to that, you need to fill your mind with those positive things. So, you know, I post different um informative topics or just inspirational posts sometimes I get real deep with the inspiration so yeah just follow me on there for all of my my service needs um if you do not have Instagram or any social media you can email me at CandiceKittner at gmail.com that's k-h-a-n-d-y-c-e-p-i-t-n-e-r boom at (laughs) gmail.com All right, guys, so that concludes part one of Family Dynamics, Breaking Generational Curses. Once again, I have to thank my guests for coming on and being honest and vulnerable with me. Two women who I met at two different times in my life, but literally served the same purpose in my life. I truly love the both of those girls. So before I get out of here, I would like to share the message I received from God this week while facing my own challenges. I want to continue to be transparent with you all and let y'all know that my life is still not 100% together, but I'm continuing to learn as I grow. And I also have an announcement for you guys as well. So this week, my words of encouragement are coming from a sermon that I watched um, given by Pastor Jermon Glenn, who is assistant pastor at New Life Southeast, um, my church. Um, And these are the notes that I took. And I believe the title was called New 
is now. Um, and this was just very relevant to where I am in life. And I feel like um, a lot of people that I see and observe and pay attention to, as well as the people in my circle. So I always want to leave on a positive note, and especially like this episode was heavy for me. Um, this week was heavy for me. I've been going through a lot of emotions with changing and growing. So like I said, it's, it's real, y'all. So um, here we go. Now is your moment for the next. Right now, where you are in your life is the moment for your next moment. Make sure your circle is not a cage, but a catalyst. Your circle is supposed to help advance you to the next stage. And I always talk about my support system. Shout out to y'all. Y'all are legit immaculate. Like, man, so grateful for them. Don't put your life on pause waiting for the norm to come back. Oh, I want things to go back to normal. Well, honestly, y'all, with the way things have gone since this pandemic, we'll never go back to normal, quote unquote, but this world ain't never been normal, but don't get me started. Um, do not waste your now waiting for your normal. Do not waste your now waiting for your normal. Your now is the greatest seed for your next. Create the change. Everything about change is consistent. And um, one of my mentors from college always used to tell me, create the change you want to see. And so coming back up years later, um, whatever you have in your future is dependent upon what's steward now. So use this time to get yourself and prepare yourself for your future. Next comes through new introductions. Um, man, I have been meeting so many people um, that are willing to help me. And I know people already who have came back in my life and who are helping me and we're networking and we're just coming together. So shout out to all of y'all. Um, I really just want to see my people live, be great and succeed. Like that is the whole goal. Um, your next season looks like who you know and or what you know. And I'm let me say that one more time for y'all. Your next season looks like who you know and or what you know. A powerful question that um, you need to ask yourself is, do you want to be healed or do you want to be whole? And y'all, when I heard that, I had to pause. I had to collect my thoughts because, man, that hit different. Because a part of healing, like like I said, it's exhausting. I'm not even going to lie to y'all. Like, I be tired of being emotional sometimes. I get on my own nerves. But it's rewarding. But nevertheless, it's still, like, exhausting. It could be draining. Um and so a part of my healing process is, yes, I'm healing, but 
I don't want to just keep healing from this, that, and the third. Like, I want to be whole again. And that really, it resonated with me, y'all. Um, and he says that healing is about your past, but wholeness is about your future. And I was like, all right, I hear you, God. Um, never make an excuse for your escape. Make opportunities inside of the question that gets you to the next dimension. Next comes through new instruction. Um, I have been blessed to have people who have been podcasting already or um, people who support me who are willing to give me instruction and put me um, in the circles with the right people. And um, to my family, you know, my aunt and my brother and literally just my circle who are really like, you know, holding me down behind closed doors, like forever grateful. Um, And you need people around you who challenge you, who command you, who check you instead of people who coddle you. And honestly, y'all, like, I am definitely doing a part two um, eventually for family dynamics and breaking generational curses because I promise y'all, like, there's so many dynamics of different parts of my family who literally have not been able to experience people who challenge them or reject people that challenge them and they're so stuck in their ways and they're stubborn and then they want to pass this down to the next generation and it's just like my generation we not going for it but it's really true like if your circle doesn't motivate you to go hard and your circle is pretty much stagnant don't get me wrong people you know have slip-ups people have setbacks That's all a part of the process, but some people get comfortable. And that's honestly what you not, you don't need to be around people who are comfortable because they're going to stunt your growth. You do not want to be around stagnant people. And I have learned this, you know, less than multiple times, honestly. And um, last but not least, Uh, The last note that I took from the sermon was there's more to me than what you've seen. And I'm about to carry what was carrying me. And oh, man, that hit different for real, y'all, because I promise y'all, like, I really have things in store for myself, for the community, for my people, like, When I say I got us, I got us. And I just hope that y'all really trust me and continue to support me because it's it's up there, period. Um, And so I wanted to share that with you guys because it really spoke to me on a spiritual level. For real, like that message, like I said, it hit different because it aligns with everything that I'm doing in my life right now. So I felt like it was necessary to share that with you all. Because I feel like if I needed to hear it, then so did a lot of other people. And before I leave, I want to announce that I have now reached 400 total plays for Elephants in the Room. And because of the continued love, support, and encouragement, I have to show my appreciation for you guys and to you guys. Um, Because like I, I keep saying, you guys 
are truly motivating me to just go harder every day and better myself with each episode. So when I reach 500 total plays, I will be picking five people from different social media platforms and give away five prizes. Make sure to follow my Instagram page at underscore elephants in the room for more updates and um, information on how to compete to win a prize. Uh, Before I go, I cannot leave without my quote. And this quote comes from Sarah Jax Roberts, who always be getting my life together. And I'll be like, okay, sis, well, let me know then. Um, (laughs) But like I said, uh, this was a challenging week. Um, Doing this episode was definitely challenging, letting go, um, letting out, you know, a part of me. Whew, child. Lord, (laughs) I already know there's going to be some stuff, but it is my truth. And that's what I'm here for, to be transparent. Um, So I was also like being hard on myself because I'm like, dang, I'm in the same situation when it comes to certain areas of my life. And I was just like, you know, frustrated. And so in watching this sermon, like she dropped this gem and it just put everything into into perspective for me and so I want to leave y'all with this quote one of the greatest errors we make is insisting on looking at our lives from the outside in instead of looking at our lives from the inside out end quote I am Ari Marie and I will talk to y'all next week